0: Welcome to the Headstock Podcasts, transmitting to you from home again now. Yes, I'm back in Sydney, and uh, I've started on I've started working on Muriel's Wedding, which is a new musical. Um, I actually can't say too much about it, but um, I'm the assistant stage manager on it. Um, so that's what I'm up to at the moment. That's why there's been a bit of a break. Had a busy couple of weeks getting everything ready for rehearsals. Uh, yeah. So anyway, on with the podcast, I um, had a bit of feedback from an old friend, and he, he works in radio, quite a high position, and he sort of said to me, perhaps maybe you should uh, write a script before you do your intros, which I haven't done, but I thought <laughs> I thought it would be less obvious if I just sort of powered through without saying um too much, I think deep down he really wanted to tell me that I said um quite a lot, and that I sound under underprepared, and, you know, he's right. Um, there was another um. So, the bit I have written down today is that if you want to follow me on social media, the best place to do it is patreon.com slash alexdickwriting, or there's headstock online on both Twitter and Facebook. Uh, anyway, so that's all the bollocks out of the way. You probably don't even want to hear from me. I'll get straight into the story anyway, the only thing I should say is, this is from the perspective of a female character, which, you know, is fine when it's in a book in writing, but um, as it's me reading to you, you're just going to have to use your imagination. So, here it goes. Humoresque in flat G. Heading into the loo, I notice the handwritten note that plasters down the toilet seat. Whoever it is that isn't flushing the toilet, your urine is a funny colour and you should see a doctor. Oh, and clean up. I pull up the tape at the side and go about my business. I can tell that some boy has been in here before me and overshot, but I try not to think about it. The toilet seat is cold. Must be someone from one of the other flats. A note lever, The handwriting's scrappy. I bet it was that foreigner from number 22. How smug. The worst kind of person to cohabit with is a note lever. I think it's a form of retardation having to leave notes a clinical lack of Norman human communication skills. I once had the worst flatmate nicest pie, or strawberry tart as I used to call her when she wasn't listening. When she walked into the room, never mentioned that anything was wrong ever, but she'd leave notes on objects talking about themselves in the first person, thus, Hi, I'm a sad garbage bin when people don't take me out on Wednesday night, or... I'm a disgusting piece of chicken stuck to the floor and I'd love to be chiselled off and put in the bin. Even one that said, help me, I'm stuck to the side of the bowl and I need the toilet brush to set me free. I ended up turning on the shower with all her makeup smashed in the bottom of it. She was retarded, she deserved it. End of matter. I head out of the toilet, wetting my hands in a token act of hygiene, flicking the water away. Before I go, I peek back into the toilet bowl. I guess the colour is a little off. I'll flush next time, I promise. You can get jaded doing the kind of work that I do. I'll tell you more about it next time, if I can bear to go back over the details. Don't get me wrong, it's all for a good cause and I don't want to martyr myself and have you guys go, aren't you amazing and so generous and all that. I just wanted to say, well, I think we got off on the wrong foot. Too much toilet talk and smashing things. I'm really quite personable. Share houses, the pressure boiler of today's modern living. Pretending to get on renovations for weeks in the neighbouring flat, dirty dishes, hair in the basin, loud private noises. Sometimes I feel like donning a firearm and opening fire on it all. I'd start with me, then I'd move on to Johnny Coattails from upstairs. Good old Johnny Coattails. I saw inside his apartment once. I think he cooks everything with a deep fryer and then patches up the walls with his grease. I want to hate him, but it's hard. Plus, he's quite cute. It must have been two weeks now, though, since the accident. I was in my room. i just bought a new oven cleaner, citrus-scented. I love the fake citrus flavour. It makes me hungry and feel clean at the same time. It makes me think of a magic biscuit that never leaves crumbs. Adding this one to my collection, I had a total of three oven cleaning products. I'm now so ready for the 28th, when my oven arrives. I can't wait. My old oven died, or I think it was sabotaged. The stupid morons who fitted out my flat placed it underneath a heat-detecting fire alarm, and it was responsible for seven evacuations. After the seventh it mysteriously switched off, never to bake another brownie. I had someone from the building look at it and they said it must have been a problem with the internal wiring. They took the oven away and, cringe, suggested I use the microwave. Can you believe that? I told them that microwaves are for single mums who wear their slippers to Kmart and the man just told me to put something like a table in the gap for the meantime, as a new oven might take months. What an imbecile. I worked out that I could make a cake in the frying pan if I elevated the cake tin above the base and put the lid on. I love cooking, though. There's something about it the smell that sends waves of euphoria down my nostrils, and the tastes always rather pleasing on the intestine. At least when I cook, anyway. I don't really like other people's cooking, especially when you can smell it in the hallways of my apartment block. Interesting fact, though, rather than covering yourself in flowery perfume, the best way to attract men is to smell like freshly baked food. It hasn't worked for me just yet, I must say, but apparently this is a scientific and evolutional fact. It makes sense, though, doesn't it? Speaking of sense, back to Johnny Coat Tales. If I digress, then just let me know. My brain wanders off in seven directions sometimes. I heard a loud crash at my door anyway, and it shocked the living fried guts out of me. I imagined the police with SWAT guys perched either side of my door, ready and aiming, and a team with a battering ram ploughing down the middle. Then I heard a whole bunch of swearing, and I've seen enough films to realise that the police try not to yell, You bastarding round piece of shit! before they break down a door. I opened my door up, with the little chain thing across for safety. No SWAT guys, but just Johnny Coattails trying to wheel a large ottoman up to the top floor. It had rolled as he lost control, and as my door is in line with the stairs, it smacked into it like a fat lady breaking through a banana lounge. Johnny isn't really called Johnny. I see his mail downstairs sometimes. I think I've seen his name, maybe Paul or Con something. He has women up a lot on the weekends. He must live alone, like me, but he brings in women and sometimes I bump into them in the corridor. They come down a level to use the shower on this floor as the one upstairs is often occupied. There must be a new lass each week. They always sneak down and they're very apologetic and they stand there with their eyes raccooned from the night before and wearing only a red and white tintin towel. Always the same towel. I don't know if it's a joke of his to give all his conquests the same towel or not, but I just hope he cleans it in between. I feel like telling one of them one day, you know... I saw another girl with that same towel come downstairs only two nights ago. About your age. But I'm not that cruel. Or that quick. Maybe I'll leave a note. Hi. I'm a skanky towel that Johnny gives to skanky women, and I need a good week in a bleach bath for decrustation purposes. When it's my turn, I'll bring my own towel up. The ottoman pushed into my door, and Johnny stood there, sheepish. I couldn't close the door now with the weight of the ottoman on it, and I couldn't open my door without closing it and unlatching the little chain, so I just had to peek out as Johnny tried to get below the weight and heave the ridiculous furniture item back up the stairs. I don't even know where he's going to fit it in his place. He'll probably have to move the bed into the corridor. He got the weight of the ottoman off my door, and I unlatched the chain and opened the door. "'Do you want a hand?' I said. "'I'd love one. Sorry about the door.' Now I winked, which is rather an ambiguous gesture, but somehow felt appropriate at the moment, and gave him a hand wheeling his new piece up the stairs. He smelt a little like fresh sweat. It's quite nice. He's a little bit rugged, which is why I was so surprised to bump into him in the corridor four times while he was in his coattails. Usually you're lucky if he's even wearing a shirt. I don't ask about the ottoman as we hefted up. Even if he had one of those corner flats, there'd just be no room for it in the flat. I don't get Ottomans. Everyone faces out, leaning against a centre backrest. They're quite antisocial. In fact, I'd say they're the most antisocial of all the furniture. We got to the top of the stairs, and the Ottoman settled near his door. Uh, thanks for your help, um, Alice, I said, winking again. It felt much weirder that time. He loitered, grinning at me, and it took me a second to realise that he was waiting for me to leave, so I toddled off back down the stairs. Back in my apartment, I squirted a couple of blasts of the new disinfectant onto a cloth and took a deep breath. Just for the smell, the fumes don't really interest me. My next task was to iron my underpants, which seems anal, but I really need to. I have limited drawer space, so the flatter I can get my clothes, the better. So I started on my pile. I have sixteen pairs of underwear, two weeks worth. Assuming I change every day, just in case I'm too busy with work to wash clothes on the weekend. I have one pair that I only wear when I'm ironing my other ones. They need a bit of a wash, to be honest. And then my final pair is for emergencies. They are a little more, how do you say, recherche. They don't come out much. They actually give me a bit of a rash, but more about that in next week's dissertation. The next sound I heard was a little more distinctive. More swearing, but this time followed by about nine thuds reaching their crescendo with an almighty crack as the ottoman plummeted down the stairs again. My door held its ground. Johnny Coattails came flouncing down in a rush. This time he was very apologetic and embarrassed. I offered to help again, no winks this time. Hi, I'm an ottoman and I'm really fucking heavy. Please lift me up the stairs. I was sweaty as we made it to the top of the stairs. I was puffed too, but I was trying to cover it up. Thanks. Sorry, I don't think we've ever officially introduced ourselves, said Johnny. I'm Nick. That's okay, I'm Alice. It seemed he has the memory of a worm. Never mind, I'm sure he has other stronger qualities. He waits again, as if not quite knowing how to finish the story. This time I'm not going to miss the opportunity to at least have a chat. Hey Nick, I have a small question for you. Yeah, go for it. I've seen you wearing coattails and a fancy looking shirt, pants and shoes to go with it couple of times, actually. Is it just something you like to wear, or is it something for the weekend? Alice. Alice, what's your last name? Bailey. I think I accidentally picked up some of your mail. Come in. I'll see if I can find it. We stepped into his room. It was dirty, as I remembered. The ceiling was black in parts from cooking fumes. The bed was ruffled and scrunched, like it hadn't been made since his mum's last visit. Slung over an old column heater was the red and white tintin towel. He had a huge pile of books in one corner, and he went over to it and started sorting through. I think it's here somewhere. Letter for Alice Bailey. I accidentally picked it up with my stuff. The room definitely doesn't have space for an ottoman. There was an electric piano in one corner. "'You play piano?' I asked. "'To get back to your question about the coattails, I play piano and harpsichord. "'I'm studying at the moment, but sometimes the youth orchestra gets me in to do some bits and pieces. "'They need me to wear a suit and stuff.
1: "'Yeah,
0: I'll play you something.' He sat at the piano and composed himself, lifted his hands to the keyboard and depressed the keys. No sound came out, and his eyes darted to mine. "'Oh, I need to unplug the headphones, sorry.' He awkwardly reached around the back and pulled out a plug, then recomposed himself. His fingers slowly but firmly pressed down on the keys, and out came the scariest sound I'd ever heard. It was sad but vivacious, dark and grinding, the tone spouting from his fingers like unimagined widows of past heroes. As his fingers whirled, he leaned in close, as if he wasn't listening to the music itself but to the tendons in his fingers working away at the keyboard. The piece went on and ended with a flourish of meat and angels, and Johnny left his emotions in a heap in the lower register. Wow. That was incredible, I said. Where did you learn how to do that? (sighs) Rachmaninoff, my father taught me. Johnny was facing the wall, not looking at me. His breathing was funny, and I worked out that he must have been crying. I wasn't sure what to do. Should I have gone over to him? Should I leave... I don't remember this from the training. It was an unfamiliar situation. This grown man playing me the piano and then bursting into tears. I looked around the room for inspiration and my eyes were caught by Tintin himself. Draped over the heater, his eyes seemed to follow me around the room, motionless and beady. It seemed he was judging me, with that stupid yellow head of his, surrounded by juices from countless skinny little bimbos. Damn that Tintin. He made me lose my nerve. I... I began. Johnny, I have something in the oven. I edged out of the room, realising that I had just used the wrong name. Johnny waved me away, his gaze centred on the greasy wall in front of him. Squeezed out past the ottoman and I ran back to my room, unsure of what had just happened. I had no idea Johnny was some kind of freak. I guess it's sort of sweet, but in terms of manners he didn't even offer me a cup of tea. I wonder if this is normal, him bringing guests in and then crying into his wallpaper. Never mind, there were more pressing matters to attend to. I went back to my cleaning products and tried to find my lemon-scented scourer. It's good, it's impregnated with soap so you can get those hard-to-reach stains with the aid of only a little bit of hot water. I decided to wash a few of my pans and bits just to get the scent in the air. I put on a little music, something less depressing, to get my mind off Johnny's recital and began scrubbing. My mind wasn't in it though, I couldn't help thinking about Johnny. The lemon scent filled the room and my drying rack on the sink was filling up but I couldn't content myself. I went across my room to the half hind pile of undies and rummaged through. There they were, the 16th pair. Underpants hold a bit of a false economy, the price is usually not proportional to the fabric content. I slipped off the undies I was wearing from under my skirt and put on the new ones. I don't know what the deal is, some girls wear this kind of thing every day. I just feel like I have a wedgie and one of the most important lessons I learned at school is that wedgies are not a fun thing to have. I had a quick look at myself in the mirror and I heard the noise again. I couldn't believe it. Starting at the top of the stairs, a series of thuds getting louder and louder as they approached my door, once again arresting at the landing outside my flat. My arms were starting to hurt. I didn't think I could lift another ottoman that day. I neatened up my skirt, checked my lipstick, and then went to the door. This time there was no ottoman, but instead a bruised Johnny, unconscious, with a bleeding nose. My heart nearly stopped with shock, but not at the sight of Johnny, who was in dire need of an ambulance. I was horrified by what was in his hand. A letter, addressed to me. I prized it from his limp hand and opened it slowly, knowing exactly who it would be from. My doctor. My annoying note-leaving neighbour was right. My wee had been a funny colour recently, inside the envelope were the results. Okay, so that's it for another week. I will do my best to make these a little bit more regular. Uh, The next five weeks or so might be quite busy, and then after that um, things will probably speed up a little bit sort of planned out what I'm going to do a little bit more, so I'm going to read the rest of my short stories from the book I had published, Roger's Guide to the Coffee Shops of Soho, and the last one is going to be one that I actually expanded into a longer novel. So, eventually, once I get all the smaller short stories out of the way, it's going to turn into a bit of a serialised, well, it's actually a sci-fi, but it's kind of a comedy sci-fi Somewhere along the lines, hopefully, of people like Douglas Adams, Kurt Vonnegut, that sort of thing. So keep following along and of course, you know, go to all the social media things, Headstock Online. I think I've even started an Instagram, although it doesn't it bears little resemblance to the content of this podcast. But you know, go and like it anyway, why not? And of course and of course like and subscribe in iTunes. Uh anyway, I hate doing all that, but It's necessary these days, um, so just deal with it. Anyway, I'll speak to you next time. Bye bye.